Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Goode, the CEO of the RFI Foundation, a global nonprofit organization working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage convergence in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance Podcast is to connect you to the leaders behind innovative approaches to creating positive social impact in responsible finance. In this podcast, we talk to Jason Hazel, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Wealth. Crescent Wealth is an Australian superannuation fund that is Sharia compliant. They are also an RFI member. Jason joined Crescent Wealth from a venture capital firm that invests in early and growth stage companies. Previously, he spent more than eight years with NAB Asset Management, where he was head of investment specialists and previously head of strategy in M&A. He also had a 10-year stint with MLC Investment Management, managing Australian and global real estate portfolios. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We are glad to have Jason join us on the podcast. Welcome, Jason. Could you introduce yourself and Crescent Wealth? Sure. Um, thanks for having me on, Blake. Um, so firstly, let me start with Crescent Wealth. Uh, Crescent Wealth is Australia's only um, APRA-regulated um, Islamic superannuation fund. So from that extent, we are the only investors who uh, enable retirement income to be managed in a Sharia-compliant fashion, which is quite important, of course, for Australia's quite um, large Muslim population. Uh, Crescent um, currently manages approximately $300 million on behalf, behalf of um, predominantly Muslim investors, but not only, um, across a range of Sharia-compliant asset classes. Um, as for myself, um, my name is Jason Hazel. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Crescent Wealth. Um, I've been involved with Crescent for around three years now. I started on the investment committee and uh, about 12 months ago dropped into the Chief Investment Officer role. Um, my background, I've spent the last 20 years working in large um, retail pension funds in Australia, um, namely MLC. I spent 20 years there. Um, and so have had a long history of um, um, uh, invest, investing in markets and have seen a, a few crises like we've seen, we're, we're experiencing at the moment, but I have to admit, probably nothing exactly like this, this market downturn. Yeah, we are in a, a unique time. In the context of the market downturn, there's the importance of having the diversified investment mix and Crescent Wealth became the first Australian super fund recently to have a dedicated mandate for Sukuk. Could you explain what you've done and, and why it's notable within the Australian market? Sure, happy to. Uh, about 12 months ago, we did a complete review of our strategic asset allocation to identify um, what, um, you know, how quickly the Islamic finance market was evolving and what other um, asset classes were available to us. Um, and I think it's fair to say that we were probably um, lacking in diversification uh, 12 months ago, um, we obviously had Australian equities and uh, international equities and property and, and cash, but it, um, you know, from that perspective, we didn't have a lot of uh, defensive fixed income like investments. One of the um, aspects that we, we looked very closely at was Sukuk um, and Sukuk are essentially an analogous to fixed income on a Sharia compliant um, basis. Uh, and we started to look into that, um, you know, well over a year ago, uh, and started to meet managers and and start to understand the market 
our objective, of course, was to provide some fixed income-like diversification into the portfolio, which for um, Crescent's sake was missing and uh, Crescent held a lot of cash, still do, mind you, and it's Islamic cash. Um, but uh, we investigated that market. Sukuk um, are analogous to, as I said, fixed income, and they behave like um, emerging market sovereign fixed income. So we modelled it from an asset allocation perspective as being um, emerging markets um, sovereign debt. Um, and obviously, when you're building a fixed income exposure, you don't normally go from cash to emerging market sovereign. Um, but given our um, lack of um, fixed income options, uh, we've done that. Uh, so that was really then about, about um, we'll probably get on the portfolio uh, construction soon, but it was about scaling that position to ensure that we had held the appropriate amount of, of sukuk in the portfolio. And I guess going into that question of the differences between the Islamic investment options and conventional, uh, what other things in terms of portfolio composition have you seen that's that's the most uh, distinct between uh, Islamic and, and conventional investment? In some senses, all of the asset classes are very distinct from traditional. For you know, your listeners would would be really aware that um, that what the, the exclusions at Crescent include are. Things like alcohol and tobacco and gaming and munitions, uh, pork is another one. They're, they're, so they're, they're probably what your listeners would be well aware of. But in, in addition to that, the exclusions on um, what's called REBA or interest is, is a significant exclusion. And that basically rules out banks, insurance companies and um, fixed income. From, so from a portfolio construction perspective, that makes the whole portfolio significantly different to not only a, your traditional um, you know, portfolio, but but also an ESG portfolio too, because the financial exclusion is quite quite significant. So then, if you drill into that, in the international equities portion, perhaps it's not that bigger. You know, obviously, we're, we're estimating we're taking out probably uh, ten to fifteen percent of the market by removing banks, insurance companies. Um, so our academic research suggests that, that that doesn't have a statistically significant difference for returns. So we're comfortable with that. But when you look at domestic markets, particularly narrow markets like Australia, um, banks and insurance companies represent a significant portion of the, of the index, um, up, upwards of 25 to 35%. So removing that much from the Australian market caused us to really um, think quite deeply about how we model the Australian equities asset class. And that's caused us to penalise, I suppose, to be to be um, um, blunt about it, the risk profile of the Australian market and, and hence we have a much lower home country bias. So we would have approximately 7% of, in Australian equities where the average superannuation fund in Australia might have 20 to 25%. You mentioned uh, in terms of the differences with ESG, uh, with ESG being focused on expanding the, the risk factors that are considered in the investment process, does, does, do you use ESG uh, in the uh, portfolio construction and does that help you find and, and address some of the, the, the higher risk that comes from not having as many defensive elements in the Sharia compliant uh, portfolio? Yeah, we do have, we do obviously use the ESG components and particularly uh, we outsource all of our management to underlying managers, so we we um, we expect that our managers are 
uh, implementing ESG factors and integration into their portfolio construction at that level. Um, but a lot of our our um, our uh, factors are it's in their negative screens. So at this point, we we have removed a whole bunch of different risk factors from the portfolio. Um, and I think the next step for us is to start to consider positive screening and positive um, um, in investments and seeking new risk factors. And I think getting back to the to that uh, diversification, balancing uh, defensive assets uh, in the portfolio, uh, besides Sukuk, you had mentioned cash and property. Are there any other uh, assets available to, to Crescent on the defensive side to replace some of the defensive assets that are excluded by the Sharia screens? Yeah, I think I think it's um, it's quite. That's probably the biggest challenge that we have at the moment is seeking out um, uh, more diversification in our defensive allocation. So as as discussed, we've already introduced um, Sukuk. We have um, exclusions that relate to the amount of debt that we can hold in um, what the companies that we can hold and how much debt that they are allowed to have. So, for example, that means that. that um, when it comes to property and infrastructure, we would need to, our direct property holding uses Islamic debt, which means that it can have um, direct um, debt, but infrastructure, um, you know, unless we have Islamic debt attached to the infrastructure assets, we would have to invest into infrastructure in a non-geared way. So we're investigating uh, infrastructure, ungeared infrastructure as a quasi defensive um, allocation, that would be one. Uh, we're also looking into the hedge fund uh, world, defensive fixed income, liquid alternatives for um, Sharia compliant strategies. Uh, and at this stage, I'll be honest with you, there's not a great deal of them, but we have, we are unearthing a few, having a few conversations with people. But at the moment, that there's not really um, a significant amount of uh, tools available. But I have to say, go back a year. And well, obviously the Scook market exists, but it was very difficult for us to even find um, currency hedging as, as an example. Um, so we are very close to implementing um, Sharia compliant forward um, contracts into the portfolio to manage currency risk, which is extremely important for us at this point of the market where the Australian dollar is very volatile. Um, so that's, that's important. Um, so I think it's an ongoing challenge, Blake, to be honest, is to find and uncover more and more Sharia compliant defensive uh, investments as the market evolves. But it is evolving very quickly. And as I say, things of what I've seen come to market over the last 12 months, if that continues, then I think we'll, we'll have more and more options available to us over the coming years. And one of the, one of the things related to the, to the property market that's been used in other, other supers uh, is uh, providing uh, financing, providing loans for, uh, property investments. So uh, recently, uh, another uh, local government uh, super uh, announced that they had done a, a green loan for a green building. Uh, would that are those types of uh, types of defensive assets, uh, you know, being considered, or would they be considered uh, if they could be done in a Sharia compliant way, with combining the the green and the uh, and the direct direct financing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the green part is, is, is super important and something that we want to look at. Um, and I, and I, uh, we would absolutely be interested in that. I think the market in Australia is, is it's just so small. I mean, we know who runs the Islamic window in the bank 
there's only really one here in Australia that does it. And that, um, you know, it becomes a bit circular, right? Because that uh, Islamic window is lending to our direct property fund. So they obviously do other activities to that. And we have been in discussions with them about, um, about the uh, potentially, um, you know, filling an allocation of, um, you know, property fixed income, if you like, um, out the, the back of it. So yes, that's, that's one, one potential option available to us. Another is um, mortgage funds, Sharia compliant mortgage funds. There is one or two of those in the local market. So that's a potential for us as well. So I think as, as you rightly point out, there are probably four or five options available to us and, and uh, we are just investigating them um, you know, prudently and carefully as we go through. It's been interesting in the conversation to learn about, about your background um, coming from outside of the Islamic investment uh, space. What, what do you see as, as some of the, the key overlaps and, and what are the distinctive elements that you think would be most li- likely to appeal to a broader market from, from Islamic investment? Well, I think there's a, um, you know, there's a, what it would appeal to a broader market, I think, is that one of the things I find quite interesting about the Islamic finance um, is that there's, the rules for investment are very clear. Uh, there's an industry body called AOFI, which which um, which determines the investment rules. We then interpret those rules and have them audited by a Sharia advisor. So that that's part of our investment governance process. But those rules are very clear, and they're not they don't change uh, very quickly. Um, so I mean, they might change through time slightly, but but really they're set. And so I think it's very clear what the investment rules are. Now, it might not be appropriate for everyone, then the rules might, might, those rules might be not appropriate for the entire population. But I think the fact that there, there is, there's complete clarity of, of, of the, the investment rules is helpful. I think what we're finding in Australia, particularly with ESGs, there's a, there's a range of shades, um, shades of green, if you like, um, which can make it a little bit more confusing. But I think on our from our perspective, it's very clear what we can and cannot invest into, and we don't expect that those things will change through time. Do you think that that's something that that should be looked at within ESG space is to see some of that uh, consistency, but also some of that institutionalization, uh, whether there really isn't um, an equivalent of IOFI in the ESG world, the way there is for the Islamic finance market? Yeah, I think it'd be very helpful. I mean, I. I mean, otherwise, um, each fund is going to have to have an internal governance committee, which which decides on particular um, exclusions or inclusions at various times. And I think that would be quite, um, quite you know, distracting to to some extent. And I think, as we we all know as investors, to have a disciplined, robust investment process is is the most important thing. And and um, you know, changing the the uh, factors regularly. I think um, it would would be detrimental. I, I've seen a few funds around that, you know, everyone, each fund has different member bases and different member profiles. You might have different industry super funds that look after particular segments of the market. Each will have different um, requirements in terms of ESG. And I think that, that then the funds, they, you know, and I think they also look for differentiation as well. So they look for differentiation. They have different member bases. And I think the various shades of ESG then there are many of them. Um, now, if we set up as a Sharia compliant super fund in Australia and another Sharia compliant fund manager sets up down the road, then I expect that there, 
investment process will be 99% the same as ours. So they won't be uh, trying to differentiate their investment process from us uh, to attract a different demographic of Muslim investors because the rules are, are very clear. So, I, so to answer your question, yeah, I think I think perhaps that's what the ESG movement is is missing, is that there's a very wide interpretation uh, as to what can or, or cannot be included in into the set of factors. Thanks. That's that's interesting. I think I think we'll wrap it up now. But uh, before we go, do you want to uh, tell everyone who, where they can find more information about Crescent Wealth? Yeah, sure. Um, Crescent Wealth's website is just crescentwealth.com.au and you find a lot of information about Crescent there. Um, but Crescent's uh, role is to provide access to superannuation and prepare Muslim Australian investors for retirement in a way that is Sharia compliant and consistent with their with their values and their, and their faith. So thank you, Blake, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for your time too. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. If you want to stay updated about RFI's work, you can find the link to subscribe to our newsletter on our Twitter feed, at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me, at Sharing Risk, and find us on LinkedIn. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.